Well, hey, everyone, and welcome tonight. It is the 14th of June, 2021. Great to be with you for another episode of Your Questions, God's Questions. I try to do these on Monday nights uh, if I have some good content, and uh, but sometimes I just can't come up with a question uh, to get you all talking, uh, but uh, tonight I've got one, and so I would encourage you to, uh, let's see if I can get this going here, here we go, use the comment section, all right, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, use the comment section and I will uh, post your comments online on the broadcast, uh, normally you're pretty quiet, but I always tell you, you can ask me any question that you want, even if it's not the so-called lead question that we're dealing with tonight, okay? And I would invite you to share the broadcast, okay? Some of you are shy to do that. You should know by now, uh, if you've been watching for a little while, I try to make this content um, uh, digestible by people of all religious views. doesn't mean they'll always agree but I try and present it in a way that at least they can understand what we're talking about, and I teach the Bible on this broadcast, and um, go with the view that the Bible is indeed the authoritative, inspired, infallible Word of God, okay? Uh, but uh, feel free to hit that share button. I see a couple of people are on already. Uh, you can let me know who you are, where you're from. And all of that, uh, we'll put the question on for tonight that looks like this. And uh, we'll go like this. There we go. And um, so tonight we're going to deal with a question about the question. <clears throat> because um, I, have, I have heard uh, from people often in uh, my ministry of now, uh, let's see, I first started pastoring in May 2001. So it's 20 years and just starting the 21st year of full-time ministry. And I have heard uh, many times people say, I don't understand the Bible. I have a hard time reading the Bible. I don't understand the Bible. And they get frustrated. And that's a very common um, statement. And I'd like to try and help you tonight uh, with this question. What do we do when we don't understand the Bible, what do we do, okay? And um, first of all, when people, excuse me, ask this question or mention this, it's not 100% um, accurate in the sense that um, it's not that they don't mean what they say, but it, the Bible's a very, very large book. It's a collection of books, really. So the Protestant canon of scripture which is sort of a standard that we have is 66 little books in there so you've got uh, a certain amount of books in the old testament and a certain amount of books in the new testament and i'm gonna i'm gonna fire a question out to you i see a couple of people online here can anyone tell me and i know there's a 20 second delay so i'll be patient waiting for your answer how many books are in the old testament how many books are in the New Testament. Use your comment section 
and uh, post your answer. Try not to cheat. I know you can. I'm not watching you. But how many books are in the Old Testament? How many books are in the New Testament? I should remind you while you're coming up with your answers that uh, all of the content that I have done for our church, uh, citypointchurch.ca, is on our website. If you go to the uh, website and you go to uh, Connect and Sermons, you can find it all there. Uh, there's probably a way for me to do that, but I don't want to uh, don't want to rock the boat too much. I'm alone here with the tech. But you can go to citypointchurch.ca, Connect and Sermons, and everything is there. You can uh, hear just audio of our messages there. You can go on our Facebook page, which a couple of you are now, and you can see our content there. You can go on our YouTube channel and see it there. I'm a big fan of repetition. Watching things, listening to things over again is how you learn. Uh, so I should let you know that. Uh, again, how many books are in the Old Testament? How many books are in the New Testament? If you get it wrong, you get it wrong. Okay, but I just want to get you talking tonight. Um, and also, we are meeting in the per in person in the flesh on Sunday mornings. We are at Cineplex Quartier Distrante in Brossard, screen number ten. We have started meeting again, and Valerie has put an answer up on the board here: thirty nine old, twenty seven new. And she is correct. Okay, good answer, Valerie. And God bless you. Thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, so, you've got a bunch of books in the Bible. You don't just have one. Um, yes, and we're meeting at Quartier Distant in Brassard. I just was, uh, forgot about that. We're at 10.30 in the morning. And we also stream it live at the same time. So, for people who are more comfortable at home, we... we uh, respect that and we stream it live and we also have people coming out uh we respect all of the safety measures that are in place we've been meeting oh boy since uh, just after easter i think most sundays we have been in person and uh even during the pandemic there was the odd time that we have met in person and uh we're quite careful and have had no cases as a result of uh, our meeting so it's nice to be yellow this is the first day that uh, the greater Montreal area and most of the province of Quebec is yellow. There's no more orange, no more red. So you can do more in yellow. Uh, but in any case, so 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books. And so when people say, well, I don't understand the Bible and they get frustrated, what they're really saying is, I don't understand this particular passage that I have been reading in the Bible. Because I've not really met anybody who said that they've read the entire Bible and doesn't understand the entire Bible. When we say we don't understand the Bible, what we really mean is we don't understand a particular book or a particular section or maybe even a particular verse. And so we just say, well, I don't understand the Bible. Well, no, you do understand the Bible more than you think you do. You may be having trouble, however, with a particular book of the Bible a particular passage, a particular verse, a particular word uh, in the Bible. So you've got a lot of a lot of information there, a lot of content. It's okay to not understand. But the question is, what do you do? How do we approach these texts, these passages of Scripture? How do we figure out what we don't understand? 
how do we understand and comprehend what we're reading when we try to and we just can't seem to do it? So I want to give you a couple of, of uh, tips tonight, and we may continue this because this is a vast, vast subject. I am persuaded that the majority of people in churches where the Bible is taught are grasping a very small percentage of it. Uh, very few people are doing serious devotional reading and Bible study on their own. And I think uh, that's, you know, that's just a, a reality. And uh, But I want to try and help people to learn to process, study, understand, apply, interpret the Bible for themselves. Um, your church is great, but your church really is there to inspire you, to motivate you, to help you learn, but you can't you can't uh, depend solely on your church experience to become a mature disciple of Christ. You've got to learn to pick up the food and eat the food yourself. Your church can give you some tools, some tips, some resources, some motivation, some encouragement, some inspiration. Uh, your church can get you involved. Your church can uh, put you on a path. But you ultimately have to learn to move from milk to solid food uh, as an individual follower of Jesus. Um, so when you read uh, something in the Bible and you have a hard time understanding it, you say, I don't understand what I'm reading. How can I understand it? Let me give you a broad example. The book of Leviticus, which is notorious, uh, almost a, a stereotypical example of this, right? And so we, you know, we read all these crazy, minutiae, detailed laws, and we say, "I don't understand this. What, what does this mean? What, why is God trying to? Why is this in the Bible?" And some of it is rude, crude, uh, would never work today, would be illegal today, would be considered. I mean, very taboo to try and fall today. Like, why is this in the Bible? God, I'm so frustrated. I can't read this book of Leviticus. Close the book and go somewhere where you can, you know, go to a book that you can understand better. Okay, well, that's one approach to take. But another approach would be to try to say, okay, what am I reading here? How can I understand this? So uh, I'm going to give you some tips here along the way. And I'm going to use a passage of Scripture to try and illustrate this not Leviticus, but one particular passage of Scripture. All right, so first principle that we can um, learn is, I'll put it on the screen here if I have it, yeah. It's this principle of context. Context will help you in most of these problems, passages, books, verses that you are struggling with. An understanding of the context is going to help you. So what is context? Um, when you read the Bible, everything you're reading has a context. So you read uh, a verse, uh, let's say Psalm 14, verse 1. All right. Um, uh, part of that verse says, there is no God. All right. That's in the Bible. Um, the entire verse says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Okay, that's a perfect illustration of context in a, just in one verse. Someone could say, 
the Bible teaches there is no God. Uh, Psalm 14, verse 1, it says it. There is no God. How can that be in the Bible? Ah, but what's the rest of the verse say? The rest of the verse says, the fool says in their heart there is no God. That's the context. That's the immediate context of the phrase, there is no God. Now, context goes bigger and bigger and bigger because uh, Psalm 14 is part of a larger collection of psalms all framed in this in this book of psalms which is a particular kind of literature uh, this is a, a type of literature that had to be understood a certain way that's what we call literary context so the psalms are not the same as what we would call let's say a narrative the gospels for example are a narrative a narrative narrates a story so it the, the gospels are telling the story of jesus jesus did this jesus said this this is how people reacted jesus went here this is how people was what people said this is a record of the conversation we call this a narrative we don't read the psalms and understand the psalms the same way we would a historical narrative so you have to appreciate and respect the context of what you are reading now uh, I'm going to give you an example of this um, uh, but before we do that you've got to understand how many different types of literature you have when you approach the Bible you've got as as uh, Valerie rightly stated there you've got 39 Old Testament books uh, Jesus actually divided these books into three different categories, which is what the Jews did back then. The Psalms, the Prophets, and the Writings, or the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. I think, yeah, the Law, the Prophets, the Writings. They had these divisions uh, for the books of the Bible in their language, of course, in the Hebrew language, but they would divide them because they understood that they were dealing with different kinds of literature. You've got Moses in the books of Moses. That's very different than the Psalms. That's very different than the writings, which would be what we call the major and minor prophets. Um, they looked at the books of Kings and Chronicles and First and Second Samuel and the historical narrative books in one way. So you've got these divisions because they understood they're dealing with different kinds of literature. And they understood and processed these things differently. You don't read the book of Job, uh, or sorry, let's say the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, the way you would read the Gospel of Mark. Okay, Ecclesiastes is what you call wisdom literature, and Ecclesiastes actually has a bit of a sarcastic edge to it, and the writer has a very negative tone on life, because what he's doing is he's saying this is what life would be without God. And he, he puts this down for people to understand how hopeless life is without God. There's plenty of things in Ecclesiastes that will really mess you up unless you understand the context of the piece of literature, okay? Um, so let me give you an illustration of this and also give you some more, uh, some more tips. We'll look at a passage here. Uh, is famous for this, and uh, it's found in in a few places in the in the Bible. 
Uh, This is Matthew chapter 19 and verses 16 to 29. Famous discussion. Uh, We call this the rich young man. So now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? That's a good question. The answer is disturbing. Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good if you want to enter life. Obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired, and Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is out of the commandments, out of the law of Moses. All these I have kept, the young man said, What still do I lack? And Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And the young man heard this. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, it's even it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's sarcastic. Than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples heard this. They were astonished. Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, uh, the problem with this passage, uh, let me just get to this comment here. Got you talking. Hey, Patrick, we're instructed to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal his word to us true. But people will think we're manipulating the word from our own bias. How do we know it's the Holy Spirit? And how do we trust that superb question? We'll get to it in just a moment, okay? Now, if you look at this passage, uh, there's a problem in it. And the problem is that uh, the way it's rendered in according to Matthew is, the, the young man says, what good thing must I do to... Uh, inherit eternal life and what what do i have to do to go to heaven and and jesus's answer is the disturbing part right he says uh why do you ask me about what is good uh hold on a second here i thought jesus was god uh why is he sort of saying that he's not there it's kind of a bothersome uh response that jesus gives there uh now if you if you are bothered by it and you, it's n- normal to be bothered by it. Here's what you do, uh, talking about context, okay? And then we'll get to Patrick's observation. It's good to have you on, by the way, Patrick. Uh, puck, puck drop is at 9 p.m. So uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So hopefully we get the broom out and uh, another sweep would do the uh, do the city very well. And that would be fine and dandy. So uh, in any case, back to uh, Matthew. So if we if we look at this and we say, well, hold on, why is Jesus saying why do you ask me about what is good? Isn't he good? Isn't isn't he God? Like, I don't understand this. And uh, yeah, the bleu, blanc, rouge. Yes, sir. And uh, so why why is he answering this way? Well, what you do uh, when you run into, again, a problem passage, okay, you look at context. You say, all right, this is a historic, this is a narrative 
I'm reading it like a narrative. I think I understand the conversation that happened here. I just don't like the way that Jesus answered. I find it bothersome. If God, if he is good and he is God, why is he answered in this particular way? It seems uh, out of place. It seems odd. It's bothersome. It's disturbing. Uh, this is particularly real if you're talking to someone who doesn't believe that Jesus is God or you have trouble believing yourself that Jesus is God and you read this and you say, well, I'm not so sure. I don't, I'm, I don't understand this. So what you do is you say, all right, I'm in the Gospels here. I know what the Gospels are. The Gospels are historical narrative and you've got four of them. That's a bonus. Four. That's what when you sweep in hockey or <laughs> in a seven game series, it's four just for you, <laughs> for you sports fans. OK, uh, so when you <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, uh, uh, yeah, you've got four Gospels. All right. And so what you do when you read a passage like this, you say, OK, I've got a bonus here because maybe I can find this difficult passage somewhere else in the Bible that deals with it. Sometimes that happens in the Old Testament. Um, uh, Kings, Chronicles, you have stuff that repeats from different angles. And so you can you can say, okay, what does somebody else say about the same thing? So what you do here is you go over to Mark's Gospel. I've got these references ready for you. So we're going to go over to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 30. All right. Again, context. This is historical narrative. This is gospel. So we stay within. We don't go jump around to Paul or Revelation to try and figure this out. We try and stay within the same framework where we go to Mark's gospel and uh, chapter 10, verses 17 to 30. And we see the same story. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees. Hmm. Posture of worship fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Watch Jesus' answer. Why do you call me good? Now, look closely at the passage. Again, when you're frustrated, you're having trouble reading it, you're having trouble understanding, okay, we appreciate context. Here we've got another angle on the story. Let's slow the train down, read slowly. He's kneeling on his knees before Jesus. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then the story continues more or less the same way. So here it's even clearer. No one is good except God alone. So why are you calling me good? And remember, the person's kneeling before Jesus. That's a clue. So very interesting uh, the way that Mark renders it. You say, well, I'm still bothered by this. I'm even more bothered by this because Jesus is saying, why do you call me good, right? So what you do is you find it somewhere else. And here's the somewhere else in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 30. You say, Pastor, how'd you do that so fast? How'd you find these passages so quickly? Well, because I have a trick. It's not because I'm smart. It's because I have experience and I have a Bible that's a parallel passage Bible and uh, or cross-reference Bible does the same thing. I'll hold it up in front of you. Okay, this is my old trusty parallel passage wide version Bible. 
Uh, it's difficult to find these kinds of things online, although they do exist. Uh, it's a little harder, and they're more expensive. You know, I, I advocate the version Bible app, um, and it's free, but it doesn't give you parallels. So uh, with a parallel uh, a passage Bible or cross-reference Bible, it will tell you if there is a parallel, or at least what it thinks is a parallel to a given story. So that's how I found these references so fast. Sometimes they make little mistakes because it's computers that do it. But basically, they give you a really good uh, sort of track to follow. So if I look at a passage in Matthew, I can find it in Mark. If it exists there, I can find it in Luke. If it exists there, I can find it in John. If it exists there. So if we go to Luke chapter 18 and verses 18 to 30, and take a look over there. Um, here we have the same story. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus says, No one is good except God alone. Now, the question becomes, the difficulty with the passage is, um, is Jesus saying that he is not good? Is Jesus saying that he is not God? If you read it in just one of the Gospels, you may have that impression. You may be very disturbed. And if you're talking with someone who rejects the idea that Jesus is God or that Jesus is perfect, uh, they may use this passage and say, look, it even says it right there. Jesus says, why do you call me good? But be careful. You read it in three different versions there, three different angles from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Mark text is very important in this case because we have the man on his knees before Jesus. He comes to Jesus as if Jesus is the authority. He comes to Jesus on his knees in a posture of worship. And he's he's asking Jesus, he uses this term good, Jesus picks up on it. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He never says, I'm not good. He never says, I'm not God. He's just saying, do you know who you're talking to? No one is good except God alone. And then he goes on to teach the man authoritatively. So he doesn't reject the man kneeling in front of him. He doesn't say, go talk to somebody else because I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not good. I'm not God. I have no authority. No, he's merely playing on the fact that the man comes to him and helping him to recognize the fact that he's coming to him without realizing exactly who he is. And this is why he, it's like he's saying it in reverse. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Implication, you seem to think that I can answer your question about something that, uh, well, seems like God would answer that question, doesn't it? And so he's, he's, he's basically teaching that he is God in a backwards way. Now, you won't understand that unless you read this in all three Gospels. And, again, talk about context. You won't understand that unless you read the Gospels in full. So if you read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you see a portrait of Jesus clearly as having the nature of, of man and the nature of God. So there are times when he calls himself God directly. 
And there are other times where he calls on God as his father. You say, well, how can that be? Well, because it, it, the, what's being taught there, again, by four different angles, is that this man has two natures, the nature of deity and the nature of humanity. You see both of them interacting sometimes at the same time in the same moment in the story. And so if we read the whole of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's the big picture that we have. So when we see a passage like this in Mark, we say, well, hold on here. What is the... uh, what is it that I that I'm missing in the context? And you, you you use your process and you say, okay, let's read it in all four of the Gospels if we can. Here we've got it in three of the four, and presto, we have a, an answer that's pretty strong, and we seem to have solved the problem. Uh, because if Jesus was rejecting the man's. Uh, uh, understanding or at least partial understanding of who he was he wouldn't have answered the question he would he would basically say go ask the rabbis you know uh but he he flips it and he turns it on its head and he he basically is teaching his own deity in the reverse way but you'll never get that unless you understand context um i'll give you another one that just off the top of my head uh jesus on the cross, famous, famous words that he that he says in the Aramaic language when translated into English, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we, you could look at that and say, well, if Jesus is God, how can he say that? He can't say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me if he's God, right? Doesn't make any sense, uh, you could say, right? Now, but when you look at the context of what is going on there, you realize a few things. Uh, The way the people react, um, they say, ah, he's calling on Elijah. Uh, Because in the Aramaic language, it sounds similar. Uh, uh, In the Aramaic language, Ilai uh, sounds a little bit like Elijah, so uh, they're saying, "Ah, oh, he's that's what he's doing. He's calling on Elijah," uh, because again, context. We see at the end of the book of Malachi, there is this rather bizarre prediction that that uh, uh, Elijah the prophet would return, and so this is what they think that he's he's uh, saying on the cross, uh, but broader context. If you research that phrase, talk about, again, serious study of the text, and you research that phrase, uh, and again, a cross-reference Bible will do this, what Jesus is doing there is he's actually quoting from the first line, word for word, of a psalm in the Old Testament. It's Psalm number 22, which starts with the exact same phrase. And when you read that psalm, you will see a a uh, rather surreal um, and uncanny uh, uh, coincidence. I'll put that in quotes. The psalm is a vivid, vivid description of uh, what Jesus went through on the cross. It's remarkable how coincidental it is. Uh, I don't believe it's a coincidence. I think Jesus was drawing people's attention to that psalm. 
uh, and that he was fulfilling that psalm uh, on that cross. And if you read that psalm in totality, you will see that. If you read the Gospels and the crucifixion narratives, you will see that there are a couple of places where that psalm is actually quoted in the Gospels. Not all of it is quoted, uh, but a couple of places are quoted, as if to say that that psalm is a picture of what happened to Jesus on the cross. So when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's doing a couple of things. He's directing people's attention to that Old Testament passage in Psalm 22. And he is also showing, again, that nature of humanity, where he feels the same thing that David felt when David penned that psalm. It's interesting, at the end of the psalm, David realizes that he hasn't been forsaken uh, by God. And uh, Jesus, again, with two natures, the nature of humanity, the nature of deity. So you will see him call out to God as his father, very rarely, but occasionally as his God. But most of the time he uses the term uh, father when he's addressing God. And this does not negate Jesus's deity at all. Uh, it's merely showing his his humanity on the cross, but it's not negating his deity at all. So again, context helps you there. Uh, so don't say, I don't understand the Bible. You can say, I don't understand this part. And there's a way for you to figure out how to understand it. In many cases, in some you can't, but in many you can. And the biggest lesson that you'll learn um, is context. I'm going to probably continue this on another uh, week and give you some more mm, some more little tips and tools. Uh, maybe we'll talk about uh, versions of the Bible and um, you know, what version of the Bible you should be reading. You might be surprised by the answer that I give you there. Uh, but uh, it's it's my hope that you dig into the scripture. Uh, don't be afraid to not understand. It's very common to not understand what you're reading, uh, but you will understand some of it. And uh, it's, very rarely do I meet someone who says, I don't understand the whole Bible. <laughs> they, some of it, you'll understand some of it. You won't, and that's okay. Uh, God is not afraid for you to dig into his word and tr- and scrape at it and try and figure out what is going on with this passage or this book or this verse. You're not going to cancel him out of existence. Um, He's not going to be less real in your life. Um, It's not a lack of faith. In fact, it's a sign of faith when you dig into the scripture looking for an answer uh, from God. So I hope that that's a help for you and a blessing. Before you, let me pray for you as we go tonight. Father, thank you for those who've joined in and those who are going to watch later or listen later. And I pray, Lord, you would raise up people who would be students and disciples of you through the message you have left us in the Bible. And uh, we have you speaking to us through your word. I pray that you would help us to listen. And when we don't understand to work hard at trying to figure out what you are saying to us as you lead us through these days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll see you uh, next time. If you want to join us on 
Sunday morning for Father's Day. We will have a guest speaker, EJ Tupe, coming to us from Toronto, from urban Toronto. He is our Missions Canada worker over there. I'll explain more what that means on Sunday. But we're going to beam him in, Scotty, onto the big screen <laughs> at uh, the movie theater. His face will fill the screen there, and we'll bring him in live uh, right from his home in downtown Toronto. And it's Father's Day. We're going to bring in a little something special for the dads as well. You do have to register on our website at citypointchurch.ca. And I look forward to seeing you there. Also on Wednesday night, we're continuing our video Bible study and interview with John Lennox, who is a Oxford University professor who debates the uh, most powerful atheists around the world, Richard Dawkins and so on. Uh, without fear, and uh, is able to explain to an unbelieving world uh, why God exists and why Christianity is true. And it's a great video interview that we're walking through as a little group there. Um, if you want to join us, just use the link, uh, the Zoom link that you have all received by text or by email. If you say, I didn't get any text, I didn't get any email with any link ever, then contact me and I will be pleased to send you that link and you can join in with us on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for one hour. It's a Zoom call. We have a lot of fun in that group. All right, God bless you. Have a great, great evening.